this is a bit strange for me. Uh, really, over the past year, I've just been looking at a camera for most of it. And then when we were outside, y'all were all wearing masks. So now that I can see your face, it is, uh, really changes the dynamic of preaching. Preaching, though, is meant to be done in this environment, right? It's meant to be done in community. And I am grateful uh, that we are indeed here in this space. Uh, once again, my name is Mitchell. I'm the senior pastor here. So if you're a guest, whether you're in person or online, we really are glad that you're here worshiping with us. And if it's your first time, we're really stoked that you found us. We hope you come back. Um, it has been actually 65 weeks since we were last in this space. 65 weeks. That's a long time. I, uh, I was curious what I actually said to you all 65 weeks ago from this pulpit, so I went back and I looked at my notes for my sermon. Um, apparently, I preached a, a sermon all about our inability uh, to stand still and to rest. And uh, <laughs> I preached about how we were kind of addicted to this fear of missing out. Well, turns out uh, there hasn't been a whole lot going on in the past year, so uh, I hope we're all rested. I hope we're all feel connected to God, right? I'm not sure that a pandemic was uh, what we were after, but the theme of that day was really a holy critique on this fear of missing out or FOMO. And I think it is ridiculous uh, to think that we've had over this entire year to kind of work through that 60, 65 weeks. And the challenge um, is great when we come back in person. Maybe the, the greatest challenge is just trying to figure out how to be around people again. Um, and I think it's important that for these next four weeks, we find the space, the spiritual space to re-engage with one another and with our community, understanding that together we make up the body of Christ represented here in White Rock, right? So our worship series for the next four weeks is this given opportunity, I think, to us. We're calling it Reimagine, a series on coming back. And, and really the questions are, how do we do this church thing again, right? How do we, how do we figure that out? What, what are our priorities as, as not only individual believers, but also as a body of Christ, as a community? And, and where is God calling us? Where's God calling us as individuals or Where's God calling us as the church? And to help anchor us in this work for the next four weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And so this morning we're in the first chapter, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. I invite you to hear these words. Paul says to, to one of his beloved churches, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God in Scripture. For the word of God among us and for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. The one who calls us into community so that we may remember well. Amen. In the dark uh, winter of 1945, uh, it was February, at Buchenwald um, concentration camp near Weimar, Germany, um, Maurice Halbach, a French philosopher and soci sociologist, died from an infection. And um, he was imprisoned because he was a self-avowed socialist and also because he um, opposed greatly his Jewish father-in-law from being imprisoned. Um, that concentration camp was just six months away from being liberated uh, by the Third Army of the United States. Um, and every time I think about the Holocaust, and whether it's in something I'm reading or, or in uh, an article, it's devastating to me on a number of levels, obviously, but it's devastating to think of all the collective potential, all the collective potential and promise that was stolen from the world in that event. Luckily, Hallblock's continue, uh, contributions continue uh, in both sociology and philosophy. They didn't die that day. He, um, he was seen as, as really one of the greatest influences on a particular theory about memory. It's really this understanding of collective memory, seen as the father of that. He believed that memory could only function within a collective context. That memory only functions really well in this collective context. So communities, whether those are secular communities or those are religious communities, right, they develop memories together. They share memories together. And in, in relationship to that, they end up crafting and shaping the reality in which people live their lives. It's a powerful way to think about the shared life that we have together. I mean, memories, right, that are isolated are not shared in their creation or in their recounting of them are very unreliable sources, right? If we're the only ones that possess a memory, it's unreliable. But when the community does that work together, it becomes a far more powerful tool Right, because it's hard to just trust one person's account. And when memories become owned just by one individual, one person, the weight of that responsibility to carry on that memory can be overwhelming. I think back to the book, The Giver, that I read when I was in uh, middle school, right? This idea of one person carrying the weight, or the memory of a community. 
When we bury loved ones, right, when we bury those significant others in our life, it's not just that their life on earth has ended, it's deeper than that, right? We lose access to the shared memories that we have created together. We lose out on the creation of a shared reality. And yet on the flip side, it's why a family can keep going when someone close to them develops dementia. The power of shared memories within the family sustain the love and care, the history and hope of the group. This remembering reorients us then. This shared work of remembering together is of a present and future order. And this is exactly what Paul is referring to in his opening lines to the church in Philippi. He is remember, his remembering is not simply reminiscing. Rather, Paul is speaking of the deeply foundational reality that Christian community celebrates, that being a shared memory that we all have of Christ's life and ministry, Christ's death and resurrection, and then the subsequent call on the lives of the believers. It is this shared memory that brings us into lasting community with God and with one another shared in both belief and lived experience. And yet, here we are, trying to figure out how to do this thing called church again. It's really odd. It's an odd thing to not be together for over a year. And the effects are exaggerated when, uh, when we don't choose this sort of absence from one another. A real part of being the church is being together, just like we are today. It's an essential way that the community operates, and we haven't been together in a really long time. And in this long period of separation, so much has actually changed in our lives. Think about it, 65 weeks, some of us have changed jobs or careers. Some of us in our midst have gotten a divorce. Some of us have sent our kids off to school. Others of us have lost a spouse. Some of us are now sober. Some of us are now battling depression. We've finally seen our families, hopefully. If you're like me, you've walked into Albert's, Albertsons now, finally without fear of infection. Some of us have even had babies over the past 65 weeks. Declan, our second uh, child, is almost eight months old. <laughs> it's weird, huh? God, I haven't even met him. I think he's down in the nursery. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> said like a good grandfather. I mean, Eli and I, Eli and I were talking about this actually two weeks before she gave birth about how weird it was uh, for her to kind of go through her entire pregnancy and not be in your midst, right? There's some social affirmation that happens when we go through life events together. There's the awkward, almost inappropriate touching of pregnant women's bellies by other folks in the congregation that signal that, that th this is a ritual that is taking place within a broad family, right? To have that taken away, right? We actually mourn that. We mourn the fact that you all could not be present for Declan's baptism, right? Paul knows this, actually, though. He knows that things are different. 
when he writes his letter to the church. He recognizes that much has changed in their midst. He recognizes that he is writing to a different community, and he himself is different because he is pinning this letter from jail. He's writing to a community that has grown and changed since the last time he was with them. But instead of struggling to recall the specifics or expecting the newcomers to be up to speed, by the way, we do have a lot of new folks who have found us during the pandemic, just so you know, right? And there's no, we should make no assumptions that they carry with them the history that we carry together, right? So instead of Paul focusing on all the specifics that can be lost in the midst of people coming in, and coming out, Paul encourages them to move beyond that, that which isn't shared to a place of, that to which is a place of shared radical equity and shared love. Paul moves beyond the specifics to focus on the shared good news of God's grace and the collective joy of this shared experience. For us, our task becomes more than trying to exchange pandemic stories without a pot of bad church coffee percolating in the parlor, right? Our task when we get together is more than remembering the names of the kids and grandkids of the person who after all this time is still sitting in the exact same spot in the pew, right? That is important work, but that's not all of our work. Our work is deeper and carries with it a very important purpose. That being the remembering what we are about as a church. What are we about as a church? Specifically, what are we about as a community of faith? What is our purpose? What's our mission? Where is God calling us? These are the things that we must remember because it has been so long since we've gathered together. So let me help you remember. We are a church that has for 82 years of our ministry and mission existed right here in Far East Dallas. We are a church that thrived in the days when thriving as a church was easy. Just open the doors and people are going to come, right? We are a church that just barely, right, made it through the pressing reality of closure and death. We are a church that has found a meaningful way to share our building with our incredible neighbors. We are a church that decided right when we got things squared that we were going to launch a second campus dedicated to the transformation of our neighborhoods. We're a church that boldly moved from the sidelines and into the spotlight for inclusion, full inclusion for our LGBTQ siblings. We have followed the spirit as a church. We have been challenged and have challenged one another. And we are a church that has proclaimed all means all, and there is room at this table for all. We've sacrificed, we've served together, We've loved one another well. And so today, we remember. We remember who we are. We remember who God has called us to be. Truth is, this has not changed. We are a church that is to take how we live, how we worship, how we serve, how we study seriously. 
And in this work we do together, we have no time really for delay because the church's work hasn't stopped. The world wasn't put on hold. So we should forget quickly the idea that today is some sort of restart, right? We aren't restarting our church. We've been doing the work of the church. Rather, today is squarely focused on remembering who we are and celebrating God's faithfulness and remembering together our collective call to be a church that works for the transformation of our neighborhood and brings the good news of Jesus Christ to as many folks as we can. But friends, I must warn you, this is dangerous work. Remembering... Remembering re-engages us with dangerous memories. Dangerous memories are ones in which our earlier experiences break through and reveal new and scandalous ways of living in the world. And so we would do well to remember with care because the church and her way of being will radically reorder our preferences, our priorities, our predispositions, Dangerous memories break through the canon of all that is self-idolizing and and subvert our structures of comfort and power and privilege. We are remembering dangerous things which which are empowering us to move from the past, calling us to a continued space of renewal of our dedication to the gospel. And Paul knows this when he's writing to the church. He knows that the church is a dangerous and powerful force in the world to the extent that it continues to break in on the present. Our remembering of Christ's call on our life and church is dangerous, not only because it breaks in from the past, but it reorients us to the future while also transforming us right here and right now. So we should be careful. We should be careful because following Jesus, especially in a church like this, following Jesus will lead us to unlikely friendships. I've seen it over and over again in this space. Following Jesus in the midst of this community will lead to costly convictions and it will lead us to giving up power, to reorienting ourselves to the servant heart that Jesus desires. So friends, as we do this hard work of remembering, let's be aware that as we gather again, as we remember, we will be swept up in the transformational, life-altering way of Jesus. That is both dangerous and really, really beautiful. It's really beautiful. And I consider myself the luckiest pastor in the world to be able to do it alongside you, together, as we continue the work of the church by remembering how God is calling us to be the church right here and right now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.